to part two of our conversation with the incredible folks from Umedics. I'm Cal Cates, joined here by my co-host and faithful Canadian companion, Kathy Bryan, as we uh, dig deeper into things that we started talking about last week. Remember that it is still season three and we're running our season three contest. So leave us a review and let us know what you think about the show. And if we read your review on line on the air, you will get to choose from one of four amazing prizes, either a 30 minute chat with me and Kathy Ryan about anything you like. And I got to tell you, the last conversation we had was kind of amazing. We covered everything from like golden girls to uh, dog videos to cat videos to uh, massage therapy profession, uh, personal engagement, uh, origin stories. We covered the gamut, so there's no telling what might happen if you choose that as your prize. You could also uh, have an opportunity to talk with Rebecca Sturgeon and Janet Penny, authors of the most amazing Oncology Massage and Integrative Approach textbook, or an interdisciplinary mug or a t-shirt. So lots of options just for writing a little review and telling people in the world why you listen to the show. So get out there and do that, and uh, we will look forward to receiving your reviews and Without further ado, here we go into part two of the cliffhanger that we left you with last week. But Kanish, you just got here. I'm going to let you talk. <laughs> well, you're speaking so well about things. I've listened very clearly to what you're saying. Um, I did want to say how when we came to the first orientation, it was open to the public. It was very well organized. Um, there was a separate area for children to have child care so that children people with young um, children could you know really get into the work and um, I mean I just went it was another community thing that I found out about and my daughter so happened to have like free time in her schedule so she was able to come with me and then not knowing that there was an asthma aspect of this training it um it, that asthma uh, training is what made me and my daughter committed to the organization because we have had uh, a loss with my daughter's best friend who died from asthma. And during the orientation, um, they even said, you know, this is heavy. Uh, if it's, if you need to take a break, if you need to take a beat. So all this is built into the workshop. And then, you know, I have a small, at the time she was, I think, 14 or something, but I'm like sitting behind her, like trying to stay strong because I'm like breaking down that I'm getting this information that I know if we had had just a few years before the, the child would have lived. And um, so I just wanted to make that comment about the community care, even though it was, you know, rooted in what happened to Damien, you know, it was a forethought with the co-founders to want to combine it with the asthma workshop so that it is also holistic because asthma touches into environmental issues. And doing this work has had me speak in spaces to say, Gun violence is environmental violence. It's gun violence is an environmental issue as well. So it's interesting that, you know, we have um, developed other modules um, to bring to the community to have us think differently 
about each other and taking care of each other. And um, one of the main things I always say to like new members or people who are inquiring about uh, eumetics and, and and I'm answering questions and I'm, I'm, I'm very clear to say, you know, we've always took care of each other. We're, we're still, we're taking care of each other now. This isn't a new thing. We're just, you know, organizing in a way that is, you know, um, that is, you know, dealing with it head on, but it's something that we, we've always done as people, we've always taken care of each other and that taking care of each other, sitting in the room, watching your fellow neighbor or somebody who looks similar to you learn this information. To me, that's preventative. That helps alleviate some of the, the feeling of isolation when you're out. Cause we are in schools, we're on blocks, we're in, you know, we're, we're everywhere. And so we've come across young and old and I always feel like the people that are there really take that away from them. And so in a, in a matter of a conflict later on, they have this experience in their mindset that I don't have to elevate this to violence because I know that, you know, we take care of each other. So, I mean, it is to me proactive to me. It's like, I feel like that is, that is a, the biggest takeaway for me is the proactive part. You know, it's not mm. just a response to violence. It's not just, oh, this thing happened and here I have some skills. It's about caring for each other. If I never have to use this um, yeah. this, this skill set, I know that this person cares about me. So that's, I, that's that was my comment there. Well, and I think it, I, I really appreciate, you know, Martine, you opening the door and then Kanisha, you pushing it wide open that I think it's very easy because there's so much conversation nationally now about gun violence. And of course there's a lot of conversation, but there's not a lot of action, but it's easy to focus on that as, as like the bulk of what you do. But it really, I mean, to, when you put gunshot violence here and then you put asthma here, it really kind of brings the picture together of like the community, you are mobilizing the community to take care of itself and it, you know, the systems, quote unquote, have shown that they're not interested in doing that, or at least that they're not well equipped or invested in that. And so you're showing the way in a way that I feel like, Kanisha, you pointed to it, and um, I'm I'm willing to be the dumbest white person in the room when I say that one of the things that we lack when we train about being in a place of suffering is that we try to buzz through it without the stopping that Kanisha mentioned. Like if this is getting deep for you, take a minute. Like this is real. This is how this will affect you. And you're not, you're not showing up to it if it's not affecting you. And I think that it's, it's a really terrible, but good byproduct of, I mean, centuries of having to maintain that, there's just a level of spiritual awareness that we have to really almost fight to bring into trainings. When we have a room full mm-hmm. of white providers, we have to be like, no, for real, we're going to feel this. I know that's mm-hmm. not a thing you no, do, yes. but this is mm-hmm. really important to making this effective. And it's just another place where having not lifted up black voices, we're missing a huge piece mm-hmm. of what it means to train connected providers who can make an impact in a person's life. Well, and, you know, I, I think about um, what comes to mind to me is a largely white community PTA meeting, you know, and entitled white people have a hard problem with uncomfortable. 
you know, so I think about, okay, if you, if you were at this PTA meeting, how those parents would absolutely rail against any of this kind of exposure being brought to their bubble wrapped children, because they don't want their children to, you know, let them be children. They shouldn't have to deal with this kind of stuff. It's like people, we need to wake up to what's happening in the world here. You know, and this is what's happening to yes. other human beings. Mm-hmm. And something else that we've added to pointing to the um, the spiritual part that you mentioned, Cal, is that, you know, we, we, we try to end the workshop saying, you know, we were just practicing. This didn't happen to you. We, we didn't, we're yeah. not, you know, we're not um, inviting you to carry this experience as a real experience. This is, we actually do a thing to, to reset yeah. that whole process of that hands-on because the hands-on is so important. And, you know, sometimes we, it's kind of like, but people who might be in the room that actually have been through that experience, or um, they may be giggling, but it not, it's, it may be misplaced. It may be nervousness. It may be them just hiding the fact that this is actually terrifying for me because I actually know that my brother was literally this person on the floor or I was that person on the floor. I was that person who was taking the phone out and taking pictures or whatever. So we try to like end the process also to, to take note of that spiritual part that is something that is very important and, and, and you can't um speed past it. You can't bump past it. It's a very, um, because for us, for sure, it's innate. It's not something that we have to kind of practice, but it's also, if we don't acknowledge it, yeah. then it's just sitting there. And then you may come home like, yeah, I went to this training and it, you know, and have this heaviness. Um, but we try to make that note as well because it, it, the spiritual part of it is really important too. You understand trauma. And, you know, that's what I see in my practice as a massage therapist, largely in white communities. You don't talk about your trauma. Uh, you don't feel it for sure. But, no. you know, what you're describing, Kanisha, is the understanding of trauma and its impact on people and how to work with real situations um, to help people to be uh, prepared for navigating trauma. Yeah, I really appreciate your focus, too, as an organization, letting um, this is another thing that I feel like the white community is not real great about, like letting what you guys do is this and it overlaps with other ways of improving and supporting and empowering the community. But you don't try to get into violence prevention, for instance, like you are in healthcare for health empowerment and supporting people in getting access and getting the kind of support they need, you reach out to and connect with other people who are trying to address the issues that lead to the things that make your organization necessary. But I feel like we're, we're so interested in being the one who solves all the problems that I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we miss the opportunities to simply collaborate with other really effective laser focused organizations. Yeah. We're part of the movement. Yeah. You know, that's that's what it is. Yes. And I think we are one of the things that makes to me so unique is people have different type of ideologies, different religious backgrounds, this different socioeconomic background, different education background. But what keeps us focus is what we do. And we have chances to share with each other how we feel about certain topics or what have you, but it doesn't fray us. It doesn't 
distract us because we are, like Martine said, we are part of a movement and we know that. We are part of collective work and responsibility. So we are we're 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 leading with that. We're 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 holding other organizations accountable by saying, hey, you know, bring you know, bring yourself here, let's do this. But more importantly, when when we're together, you know, different ideologies or different theories or whatnot, it's it's easy to um, waste time in a meeting because something comes up and now you end up talking about this thing. And it's like, we really, we, we, we are very careful about making space for us to express ourselves and learn about each other while staying focused on what it is that we do. Because what we do is so important. So we, we want other people who are in policy to focus on that. And we may have our own thought processes about what we want to have or how we want to impact certain policies and and that's important or um, whatever other ways we can collaborate is 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 important that's what Eugenia means so we really try to keep that as our focus and that is one of the things that make me feel very very um, cared for within the organization because I don't feel like my opinion about something will make me an outsider to the group. I may be an outsider because it's a different opinion, but it's not going to stop me from being a value to the organization. Yeah. Yeah. I realize now we need to have you both on for another episode. That's just about how to not be a jerk when you're community organizing and how to really like value people and show up for what's there and do your work. I just, I feel like, especially in the nonprofit sector, there's just so much scope creep and ego and things that don't belong in a movement. And what I hear you talking about, and, you know, maybe we go undercover and we ask other people who work with eumetics and they go, oh, it's not like that, but I kind of doubt it, you know? <laughs> and I feel like the, these are the roots of sustainability that so many organizations that start off with a, a really beautiful mission kind of fall apart and move away from that mission because you do wind up with these structures and hierarchies and there, and there is, there's not that sort of belief in the value of meaningful dissent and of just that, you are bringing together humans who are by their very nature going to be unique and they're not all going to get along, quote unquote, but the mission and the, the, the movement stays front of mind and front of heart in a way that I feel like is not very common in the nonprofit sector. I think we get so busy chasing the, the money and the marketing and all the pieces and just wanting to be the person who says like, I led this thing and then the thing just falls apart or just becomes something different than what it was intended to be in the first place. Well, I was just going to say, I think everybody would pretty much say they feel that way. So you ask, ask away, go undercover, <laughs> ask away. People pretty much say, yeah, I'm pretty confident, but also um, the mission drift and like the hierarchy and all that type of stuff, not to give y'all all our sauce and everything and our juice and all of that, but just to say that we are really mindful about it. We really, no, we really study organizing. We we study what has went wrong in other organizations. We put things in place. How do you deal with this? How do you, if this comes up, we really understand that humans are going to human and we don't want that to be a problem in us organizing. So, um, yeah, we, we try our best. We definitely try our best. Uh, yeah, so my question, so Cal and Kath, where, where are you all in the world? I'm in, I live in a rather remote community in northern British Columbia on the west coast of Canada. Okay. 
And I'm in Arlington, right outside Washington, D.C. Okay, so like, um, yeah, about okay. as far from each other yeah. as we could be geographically. That's really far. <laughs> and as okay. well, just the world in which we live is so different. I mean, when you're talking about your your training, and Cal mentioned the wilderness, you know, survival training, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I get that because we, that's something that people here do for a living because we do not have the resources here that a large city would have. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, um, I think a lot of our, how we're oriented in pneumatics about um, this sense of Ujima, again, I got to talk about where we come from. You know, a lot of our parents and grandparents came from communities where um, you had to be very self-sufficient. Um, either either because um, you, you were in like a rural area and, you know, folks just um, developed their own expertise in this and that. And you knew who, well, if you need this, you know, that person down, down there, they know how to do this. This person knows how to do that. Um, my grandma was what people call a postpartum doula. So if I just had a baby, well, you got to go get her. You know, that's the kind of thing that happened. But it's also a thing that happens where we live right now. In the now, that's that's how we have to deal with things right now. For example, one of our members <clears throat> doesn't have. So I guess for Kath, you don't understand this. We got somebody with no health insurance. <laughs> yeah. In <laughs> collective, because you know that's how things go down in the United States. So, but the crazy thing is, he's in medical school with no health insurance, surrounded by doctors. But because he has no not health a drop to drink. Hey. Yeah. You know. So that's that's kind of the, you know, the next thing. Um, but, you know, that's that's part. That's another reason why we got to do what we do um, and how we go about things. But, you know, you know, folks still have to, um, you know, figure out how to take care of each other, even in these urban settings where maybe there's a hospital up the street. But, hey, you don't like that hospital. Because it's not a great hospital. <laughs> um, every time you go in there. There's some kind of issue or problem where you feel like, okay, well, maybe this wound got treated, but my heart was wounded, you yeah. know, um, or I can't pay this bill. Um, one of the things that comes up a lot in um, our workshop is like, well, you said I could call the ambulance, but I'm afraid of the ambulance bill. Well, yep. you've been shot. Right. Right. But I'll die and in the instead, street. And, so I don't instead have to pay Instead of being like, well, of yep. course you need an ambulance. Of course you can go to the hospital. People are like, but what if they charge me for the ambulance? You know, yep. well, should I just drive to the hospital? And we so we have to have all that conversation. Yep. You know? Um and so- we have done research to find the best answers for these type of questions mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Because that's actually a misnomer. You know, so that's like one of the things that I've pri- I mean I'm just grateful. I shouldn't say pride. I should say I'm more grateful that we have this type of um, trust in the community and we build relationships to get the solid answers from people who are in those situations because there's ways around that. And without somebody being able to, us being able to say, this is a step around that. This is how you can do that. This is how you can have, these are your options. You know, we understand what you're saying, but this, even the point of, calling the ambulance versus calling 911 because that's a barrier 
you know, a person saying, don't call the police. Oh, no. It's like, okay, you're, you're literally bleeding, right. we, you know, but we're not calling the police. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. that knowledge that we have, people are like, oh, oh, okay. It's something, I mean, I'm a grown woman. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I didn't know that until I became a part of Umedics. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like this is a place where, you know, white people say, well, but you can fight that bill. No, you can't. If you're a person from a black or brown community, your complaint is not going to be met the same way that your that a complaint from a white patient or community member would be. And you don't have that. Yeah, and the stress, the stress and the time. Yes. And the resources to fight a bill. Like it'll just be a bill. My credit is just going to be worse than it already is. Right. It's not something that you're the the co the intersection of allyship is 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 very um it has to be cultivated with respect from each perspective. You know, it has to have that perspective. It, it just can't go on with this assumption of understanding what a person, or, or so assuming you have the answer or assuming you know because it works for you. Like, just take one beat. Just take a take moment. A beat. Just take a moment. Yes. Just take a beat before you... Just take a beat. Because <laughs> you don't, you might not know, you may learn something. Mm, you might, you, know you might. Well, that's what we're afraid of, you know, because then we'll have to change our, our behaviors and our thoughts and <laughs> nobody wants to do that. Oh, man. Yeah, see, yeah seriously, though, like, um, well, we're all being serious. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, what What we're dealing with, you know, violence in Chicago isn't just about violence in Chicago. Right. It's 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 about the state of the planet Earth. That's what it's about. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah. you know, um, any even places that may not be affected by um, people being shot in the same way are definitely affected by health disparities. Yes. You know, um, we just talked about asthma. We have a, a seizure workshop we developed. Uh, we have a um, diabetes workshop that we developed. Uh, we have a protest defense, a whole like training about that. Wow. Um, you know, and um, there's so many other topic areas that we, we haven't even um, entered into yet. But there's mental health, there's reproductive justice, and there's a lot of other organizations that fortunately do work on that. I know there's a lot of really, um, re- really important work happening in Canada as it relates to Indigenous women, reproductive justice. Um, that'll be cool to connect to. But it doesn't matter, like it doesn't matter where you are, um, because this, the reasons why there's violence in Chicago is why there are, you know, um, is why there are there's sexual assault. Um, in, you know, at, at these high rates in, um, in different communities is why we have, uh, the, these high rates of asthma deaths in our communities is why, um, is why, you know, so many folks don't have access to healthcare. Um, you know, there's all these, 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 all these, these things are related. So when you watch TV and look at violence in Chicago, um, don't think it's not about you because it is. It is. And Perfect. There's Don't some, think it, it's not about you. Know, you. Yeah, it, 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 it is. Yes. It is. Um, yes. Because I can't, I can't look at, I can't, you know, look at a, a situation 
anywhere in the world and think there's not some kind of action that I can personally take, or there's not some kind of action that the government that claims to represent me can take um, to have some kind of impact on that. Um, you know, and we're living in um, a situation where, you know, in order to get out of this, we have to, um, how do I even put this? Like this, this, this is this system of capitalism, yeah. this system of, um, you know, domination. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what this is about. It is absolutely. So, um, yeah, like, um, there's most of the gun owners in the United States are white folks. Um, and, you know, um, I want to be clear here that I'm not against gun ownership, but what, but what I want to bring out is, you know, the idea that, you know, gun violence is, even though black folks are, are dying, you know, the most from gun violence, we, we, we also have this whole prison, pr- prison and, and, and so-called justice system that is an economic engine for white folks built on the, the backs of, of black people, of yes. undocumented immigrants. Yes. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's what, that's the situation here. And yeah. so until that's addressed, you know, the generations of uh, particularly fathers that have been taken out of communities and put into prisons yeah. and leaving all these, and leaving their communities in this situation, um, you know, increasingly, you know, um, particularly over the last, you know, 10 years, the, you know, the, um, the group that has been going into prisons at a, like higher rates have been women. So you have, you know, mothers and, and aunties and sisters that have been taken out of our communities and away from their children as resources. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the, again, this, the, this prison system is an economic engine for... Yes. Um, for a lot of communities in this country that think that gun violence has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. Yes. Yes. It's, Just keep holding it, up the mirror. Yeah. In the last episode, when we talked to Dr. J. Pop, one of the things we talked about, the veil's coming down and we've all been duped and we've got to wake up to this pilgrim whitewash story that we've all been fed over hundreds of, of years and and really reconcile what is at the root of this disparity and inequity uh, all around us. So, yeah, I think, as you said, Martine, don't think it's not about you. It's about all of us. And we have to keep telling the truth, even when it makes us unpopular and it'll, it'll catch on, but it's going to, it took a long time to get here. So it's going to take a long time to get through here. But I think you're absolutely right. These systems of domination and capitalism and it, People don't know what to do instead. And I, I have compassion for that, but there's something better. And as long as we keep holding it up, we're not going to find that better thing. Well, in Canada, the latest catalyst has been the unearthing of hundreds of indigenous children's bodies around residential schools. It will be, right. no, it will be no different in the U.S. Uh-oh. They will find the same thing there. So yeah. that has been a, kind of a George Floyd moment for Canada. And I mean, it's horrifying that that's what it takes. Um, many of us who have tried to educate ourselves have not been surprised at this finding in, in Canada, those who have been in you know, process of decolonizing ourselves. 
um, horrifically tragic that it takes something like that or takes the life of even one individual for us to wake up and buy a clue. That there are actually bodies buried. I mean, there's that expression, where are the bodies buried? But that is yeah. the truth. Yeah. And it is yeah. shameful that we have to see the actual bodies to go, oh, maybe that's maybe that's a thing. There's something to that because our history has been so curated that mm-hmm. it feels... It, I commend you. I commend you for taking this charge because it, with, you know, European descendants being with resources and having the access, it should be, the onus should be on you to find the truth, to discover and uh, reveal the truth. It shouldn't be on the backs of Black people to constantly, you know, say, hey, this is going on, this is going on. Like, this is 2021, and I'm, I'm sure there's still people who, are in their bubble. Oh, for sure. Uh, bubble wrapped, as you say. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that you all are, you know, making this charge and making it, um, hopefully making it trend, you know, like, because with information and, 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 and knowledge, I mean, it's, it, it, it does something to anybody, you know, anybody when you're, you're reaching. And I think that was the concept that, that was happening with George Floyd that you mentioned him. It was the, 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 the visualization of that act. It's it's like, well, I didn't see it. I didn't really hear it. We don't know what happened before. We don't know what happened after. Well, in this case, you knew what happened for the whole time, for the most part. So there's no way you can wiggle around it. Nope. And there are so many more um, instances throughout our history that is so blatant. So blatant. I mean, it's not that hard. No. It's so no. blatant. Oh. I mean, if you just chose to see and believe the truth, you would maybe be able to um, position yourself to have a little bit more humbleness. You'd be horrified. When addressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, your horror yeah. would motivate you to change things. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's it's so funny because with my child, my oldest, with our oldest, I like had her watching like beho- um, on a bended knee. And I was like, she was watching Uncle Tom's Cabin at like nine, eight, seven. I mean, I was like, as far as it goes, like she went to a mixed school, so to speak, and all that. And um, she really didn't know much about Black people being poor or violent or nothing like that because she only knew the best of Blackness. But she also knew the the depths of white, um, of the whiteness, you know, that, that concept is actually a disease in it of itself. Yes. The actual concept of whiteness. So I taught her that and we laugh about it now, but it was something that was horrifying to her, but I wanted her to understand without me saying, Oh, Sally's a you know family, this, or I didn't want to make it about the children that she was around. I didn't want to make it about her living her life. I wanted her to understand it from a, you know, from a, from a world view, from a, what has happened to people around the world and, and here. And so it was horrifying, but I, I, I hope that helped her shape her sense of wellness for herself so that she understands that when somebody's coming against you, there's something else going on here. It's not because you're a bad person. No. It's not because, you know, black people are lower or worse than or any of that. It's something else going on. So that it is horrifying, but it was horrifying for those people who went through it. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I, we have talked before about our, our lack of patience for white people who get stymied in their guilt and, and sadness about what mm-hmm. white people have perpetrated. I'm like, okay, feel it, get over it. Like, 
it's mm. it's time to move forward because you know yes there is pain in being a perpetrator and that has to be acknowledged and then we have to move beyond allyship into solidarity and really acknowledge what's happened and tell the truth about mm-hmm. what has to be different and i just think that it's mm-hmm. just not a skill that we've built up and we it's going to be mm-hmm. it's going to be a heavy lift but uh, you know i there was a um there's a there's a, a clip on YouTube that I recently came across and it impacted me so much. And there was a, a, a enslaved African, um, they, a voice recording. So it's his voice. It wasn't a reading. It wasn't. Wow. A, it was. It was his voice. And the white man, white, and I use quotes to say that because that to me is a label that should literally kind of be used properly. You know. Um, if you're a quote unquote white person who's being decolonized, you might want to not call yourself white because that <laughs> title actually has a connotation of supremacy, a well earned of, of pseudo supremacy. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, but the but the but the but the the conversation went something like this. So the the guy was interviewing him, and 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 he said something like, um, I don't know what he said, but the response was, oh oh. The, the, the enslaved, um, the free man at this time, he's free. He's like in his 80s or something. He wow. said, oh, I know you think you're cured from that disease, but ain't no cure for that. He said, and you know, I know you think you can, I mean, he spoke well, you know, he didn't, he spoke well. He said, I know you think you could, um, I know you think that you can give me freedom, but you can't give me freedom. You can take it away with your guns. You can take it away with your laws, but you can't give me freedom because I'm born with that. I was born with that. Yeah. And that just really, I mean, even back then, you know, he was just freed. It was whatever year it was. It was, it was just free. He had no real cognizance of anything, but he knew that he was born with freedom and that nobody could give him that. And so I, I think that, you know, we're on a good foot. We're, we're, we're fighting the good fight. It's a long fight, though. It's a long fight. Well, and when you t- when he talks about not being cured, I mean, I, I we've spoken before, and I, one of the things I love about this is that like you don't necessarily learn anything new on this show, but you get reminded of stuff you'd rather forget. And I feel like one of the folks that we work with in in working with white people to be less white, or at least to know that whiteness is a thing, talks about whiteness as from like through the recovery model. And she says, you know, like I'm going to die white and I'm going to die with white culture characteristics and I'm going to right. But, and on the days when I feel tired or stressed or whatever, I'm going to fall off the wagon and I'm going to do some harmful crap that I didn't mean to do. And every single day I have to get up and remember that this is a thing that's inside me and that I want it to not be the boss of me. And that that doesn't just happen, that you have to engage every single day and get up and decide that this is something you're going to do differently. And I think we just we just want to do it. We just want to be there and be like, whoa, glad I'm not racist anymore. And it's like, sorry, that's not really how it works. Wow. <laughs> that's deep. That's very yeah. good, though. I really that, that's like I wish somebody would take that and run with yeah. that like a 12 12- it's so clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what it's like. And I think if we could get more white people to think of it that way, that you can't just read cast and like check the box. You can't just read whatever or listen to a podcast and like call it good. It's really a thing that you're just going to have to stay committed to. So, and I mean, and even for us, black people and others, there's a quote unquote white man inside of us that has been shoved down. So I do that too. That's why I'm like, wow, this is so cool because I, when I'm not, I'm not really concerned about quote unquote whiteness or white people outside of myself. I'm fighting that 
colonialism within my own self. Mm-hmm. So that to me, when, and, and, and I'm going to probably fight for that until I absolutely die. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Well, that's, we get, yeah, you know, we have white people in our trainings who say, well, we have black people who work in our organization and they're fine. And we're like, Ooh. so fine. A, not amazing. <laughs> B, like, I mean, they are as indoctrinated as you are into the ways the world works. And so if we really go down into that person's soul, we'll see this tiny little pilot light that's all but been extinguished by what it takes to be fine in a white organization. And that it's so hard for, I mean, it's hard for white people to know that being white is a thing, but when you try to explain to white people that inside any black person who has grown up in America is also a white person, like they just can't figure that out. Yeah. We we need to dismantle this colonist capitalist hellscape. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about this whole thing, can you talk about that? So there's, you know, this idea of, you know, whiteness that is um, basically permeated um, really this, this uh, shit is everywhere. Um, but we're talking from in our position as as black folks in Chicago. Um, at least I, that's what I'm talking as. But also, but you know, in the same way that we talk about extinguishing that, there's also um, some, there's also a thing about being an American that um, I realize is a thing, and you know, uh, I have to I have to grapple with that, and I have to. It's one thing I have to do every day is. Uh, figure out how to decolonize that identity. Um, being American, being an American is a hundred percent connected to this idea of whiteness. Um, I'm not sure if whiteness would be what it is without the existence of the United States of America. Right. Um, but there's also, Oh, I don't know. I think Britain does a pretty good job. <laughs> they, they, they do. They do. I, I feel, but I, I really feel like the, the whole thing was, really the experiment uh was really kind of cooked here Mm. (laughs) and exported yes uh you know and so uh that's 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 something that i gotta every day work on within myself so there's there's the white man and then there's specifically the american Wow. wow that's heavy martine you know and i i think and i i certainly i have had this conversation with others as well, but getting to that piece of colonization and the whole construct of that and the whole concept of that is very much white supremacy. And I think that's important place for all of us to really start to explore and think about that um, in the unraveling of that, because I, from my perspective, that is part of the root of some of our most serious issues. Yeah, because you think about those pictures of like, colonizers in places like I think Congo or where there's like mounds of skeletons and they're like hi I've just that's the Congo and that we're going hit yeah the Congo Mm -hmm. so it's like those those were the like Martine was saying they it was cooked here but these um ingredients you know and the ideation was perpetrated and you know, uh, what, 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 throughout the world, I think it was Dr. Cress Wilson who said, "Oh, let me. I don't want to misquote. Um, hmm, I, I won't. I would track that as I don't want to misquote. <laughs> but I'll say that it definitely was a like Martine. That's I like the way that it sound. Um, that sounds Martine like that. That 
that it was cooked here and then brought all here to make that stew. Man, that's that's. And I don't want to say what white supremacy is. I want to say what whiteness is. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, Related things, but they're related. Right. So um, whiteness exists everywhere. White supremacy exists everywhere um, because there's no place that hasn't. And I know that there's folks who don't like the term white supremacy uh, because just the idea, they they, kind of had this perception that that's saying that whites are supreme. And that's not what the concept is saying. You know, what the concept is saying is that a lot of people are brainwashed into believing that. That's what the concept is saying. It's not saying that whites are actually supreme, right? Yeah, it's um, kind of oxymoronic, actually. Yeah, yeah, you know, so that's not what we're saying here. But, and of course, you know, if any, you know, folks are listening to this from other places in the world, Caribbean, um, sp- especially the Caribbean and South America, they're like, no, <laughs> H no, or hell no, you're wrong. I, could, I don't mind being told I'm wrong about that. You know, we're getting close to the end of the podcast, Martine uh-huh. and Kanisha. If there's like one takeaway or one one more thing that you really think our listeners should, you know, sit with the night and digest, what is that? Hmm. I'm going to say that when we're thinking about allyship, you know, think about making space, just moving to the side. That That's a lot. Just do your work and move to the side for the next person because their lane might come through where you are because we got a ragged road going to get to freedom and liberation. So it might come across you, but the best thing you can do is, you know, provide resources, offer resources and move to the side. No strings attached. Move to the side. And that's what I would say is the, the, the wellness that we can all play our part. Sometimes it's not working directly together. Sometimes it's tipping your hat to the person, good job, and keep going. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, for joining us and our incredible guests. We will certainly have them back on the show. This has been another episode of Interdisciplinary Heal Wells podcast about people who take care of people and all of the places and perspectives that lift us up. Remember to join us at our Just Care conference in October. Uh, Umedics is uh, one of our many incredible presenters. So uh, get in there and check that out and come and join us in the Healwell community where the conference will actually be happening. And remember our season three contest, leave us a review. And if we read it on the air, you'll get one of our very exciting prizes. So uh, take care of each other and we will talk with you soon. Thanks. Take care. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.